Hello, welcome to Process. My name's Stephen Walsh. This week, we're going to be talking to Tom Humberston. Hello, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Tom, your current major project is In the Frame, a series of political cartoons. Would you call them that? Uh, yeah. yeah for the fair. New Statesman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that sort of brings me to my, my first sort of question. In terms of that sort of work... How would you describe yourself? What would you what would you say that is? I guess I've just called myself a comic artist and probably since about two thousand and eight I've been sort of balancing my interest in comics and my interest in politics and sometimes the two meet and sometimes uh, you know, like I've been doing solipsistic pop, this uh, UK comic anthology since two thousand nine. But just before I started doing that I travelled around America for two months with a friend of mine who's a journalist, Dan Hancocks, and uh, we were following the US presidential primary campaigns. We blogged about that as we went, we made a book at the end of that, and that was just before I started doing a solipsistic pop. So the two have always sort of been hand in hand, but as I've probably, like, I, I got the job with a New Statesman two years ago, and I suppose since then I'm getting more known as a political cartoonist, and because that that tends to lead to more more work within that sort of uh, realm. So I've been doing more work for that. Before that, I was doing work for Cartoon Movement, which was this uh, website set up explicitly to do that sort of, provide a platform for those sorts of comics. So I did three comics about the Day X3 2010 tuition fee protests. I did those with Anne Holiday. So I've been doing work with them. It was actually, I, I, I did a 10-page comic about the Olympics, London Olympics, just before that started. And that was what got the attention of Daniel Trillin, who was the editor of the observation section of the New Statesman. Uh, and that was when he approached me to do that. And then since then, I've been sort of getting more, more and more work from that. But yeah, I'd say, I think I'm just a comic artist. I wouldn't call myself a political cartoonist explicitly. But that is definitely an interest of mine, and it's probably going to inform all of the work that I do, and probably always has to greater and lesser extents. And it seems quite organic as well. As you say, the project that you did with Dan Hancock, my fellow Americans, was sort of a travelogue as well, wasn't it? It was about the journey. So it's very much your personal experience tying in with the political things that you witnessed and ways to record. Mm. That seems like a, a similar approach that you've taken within the frame as well, where a lot of it is about your view and your experience. Yeah, with the American thing, is like we were absolutely in no way, shape or form experts on the American political system. Obviously, we were, we were really interested in it, and we were those sort of political, well, and probably still are those political geeks who will sit there and spend all evening watching the results come in for election night, at the American election, as much as the UK. But, you know, like I think it's our... well. Dan definitely knew a lot more than me, and we did our research before we went. But um, part of it was to have these two sort of British political geeks out there in America discovering, hopefully, something different than what the the actual serious reporters and journalists and bloggers were. We were making sure we, we wanted to be on the ground in each city, in each state, seeing different parts of American life, seeing how we'd hope that we'd, we'd see things that other people wouldn't necessarily see. And so we kind of thought, oh, we were actually onto something here because all of the polls, everything that they were saying about the Clinton campaign and the Obama campaign, every single time was proven false. So it really fed into this sort of narrative that we were slowly discovering as we went, which was 
you can't predict how people are going to feel. And that was definitely something we experienced every time we spoke to someone. They had different opinions about why they'd be voting for Huckabee or Romney or Giuliani or, you know, they'd be like, my first choice is Huckabee, my second choice is Obama or something. You know, it'd be <laughs> ridiculously weird sort of, you know, opinions that you wouldn't, you just wouldn't be able to project. And since then, I, I tried really hard to be as thorough in my research and as balanced as I could be with uh, the Olympics comic. But obviously, you know, my, my own sort of feelings about that sort of, you know, it became a relative relatively polemical but you know I had really good um, editors to help me make sure I didn't embarrass myself made me make sure that I triple checked sources and so I I tried my hardest to do that considering I you know I hadn't done a journalism degree you know everything is essentially self-taught when it comes to this and I think calling myself a journalist would be doing a horrible disservice to journalists so that's always something I have to bear in mind when I'm doing this and I've I've probably made an attempt with about four, maybe five of my In The Frame comics to actually just do a half page entirely about something that I've researched and being sort of an embedded journalist or, you know, experience something and just reporting on my experiences and hopefully sort of saying something new about it or in being having some sort of enlightening fact that might not have appeared anywhere else, which is, you know, going to be a stretch. Because, um, you know, like I say, I'm not a journalist and I'm not going to... I'm probably not going to be finding things in a story that other people haven't already found. Uh, so by and large, the comics on a weekly basis are uh, jokes or uh, askew observations. I think by and large, my editors would prefer me to do things that aren't time-sensitive, something that they can have that's just like a an interesting observation about something that's happened in a general sense about media coverage. Um, because, you know, it keeps it light, it keeps it non-time sensitive and 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 but i'd really like to balance those comics with other more topical more pressing things i i i'd like to well i wouldn't like to get angry but i'd like to when i'm angry about something or or passionate about something i'd like to be able to say something comment on it and not feel like i have to find a punchline at the end of it um and you know my editors have always been very encouraging of that as well and like the idea that you know, it can be something very different on a weekly basis. So, uh, the, the format of a comic allows for that. Have you been a fan of political cartoonists and cartooning before this? Are there particular creators that have made an impact on you? I suppose, you know, the obvious answer is Joe Sacco. And he was probably someone I came across around the same time that I came across all the other sort of influences around the time I was about. 1718, which would have been, you know, Tomonet and Klaus and Ware, and then Sacco. And I guess also you could sort of argue, while it's not political cartooning so much, or, or even reportage, uh, something like Mouse as well, you know, is and Persepolis, and and then later, like, um, How to Understand Israel. But autobiocomics that I generally lent towards and found the most interesting were the things that were political in nature and had a secondary level to them beyond that person being the sort of story. I guess on a very basic level, there's that sort of sense of write what you know. It's not necessarily that I think, right, well, you just put yourself in a situation and write about your experience. But I think, you know, the whole the whole sensibility of that statement is not to just write about yourself. It's about choosing what you're going to write about and find out more, you know, be the person who knows more 
you know, research. And so I've always wanted to, to set myself challenges of finding out more about something and then, you know, writing about it. And I, I find that a really interesting way of tackling A, sort of comic reportage in general, but B, sort of autobiographical comics. Yeah, just say, I think sensibility is the, the important thing, isn't it? I mean, in terms of straight-up journalism or reportage, if you wanted to research something meticulously and purely present facts and ideas, that's a very particular form of reporting a situation. But getting that personal perspective that is examining... The situation, you say, partly from your own experience, but also what you observe of other people's experience, does give you a unique perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to figure out a way of reconciling why it has to exist as a comic and not as straight prose journalism. Uh, there's got to be something visual in it. There's an argument to be made that that sort of information and um, statistics and you know graphs and the sort of the human side of that kind of data has more power when it's visualised in a comic than, than, you know, just seeing those words and numbers in straight prose. There's an argument to be made that simply just by making these this data and, you know, infographics and that kind of thing, that makes the story more accessible and more easy to understand. But I also think there has to be a little bit more than that. Uh, you know, you have to... You have to find a way in. And obviously, you know, going back to the kind of Scott McCloud understanding comics side of things, if, you know, putting yourself in it and then reducing that and, and reducing the line work down as much as possible so that other people can empathise with those characters or whatever whatever's in that panel really helps sort of get your point across. And you can use that for good and bad, I guess. You can sort of use it as a bit of propaganda. and um, But hopefully... As long as you sort of feel strongly about where you're coming from and feel confident in the research and the conclusion that you've drawn, that you know you can do right by comics in that sense. Do you think there's a strength in the medium itself? In that, as you say, with a prose story with tables and charts, they're very distinct things on the page. Whereas in comics, you've got the single pen, the single line working across all those different elements and ideas that give it a cohesiveness visually mm. and you can also blend those things together much more naturally than you could with the idea of text and a chart and a graph all very distinct elements on the page yeah absolutely I, you know i think you have to be a really good cartoonist to be able to pull that off and i'm not entirely sure i'm there yet and, and also i've not sort of given a go given it a go to do a sort of long form you know beyond that sort of 10 page olympics comic and i, I did like a five-page comic about the sort of rise of the far right in the UK. But, you know, so I haven't sort of tackled it in a book form, you know, like Daryl Cunningham and several others have and, and, and do really well with it. One of the quotes uh, that Adam Moore said has always stuck in my mind, which is the way he understands comics is that, you know, there's a, the words sort of engage the left side of the brain and the images engage the right side of the brain at the same time and that helps us sort of understand and retain information much better in comics than maybe any other art form maybe that's slight hyperbole but I like that as an idea and I like that you know I probably grew up reading a hell of a lot of comics and uh, I feel like that's definitely had an impact on me that I probably don't even realise you know I, I feel like a lot of things seeped in there and got into my subconscious without me realising it so I think trying to harness that and do something interesting with it is um, that that's a really satisfying creative 
way of, of working. And, and what's really nice is there's so many... When I started doing it with, like, cartoon movement, that was one of the only places that were sort of uh, really encouraging comics journalism and that sort of uh, comic. And now you've got, like, uh, Symbolia magazine and you've got The Nib and Medium really doing some great stuff there. Like, um, you know, Matt Bores is doing, you know, incredible work and uh, there seem to be more avenues for it. So I think... I think people are really picking up on that. Do you think part of the drive behind this almost renaissance in graphic journalism is the fact that we've got particularly troublesome government at the moment? There's a lot more material than there would be if things were a lot more settled. Yeah, that's always the idea, isn't it? That, you know, like, comedy is always better when politics is worse. And I even remember Mark Miller talking about this, like, a long time ago when, uh, you know, that the American sort of mainstream superhero comics sort of got more interesting when they had Bush to sort of contend with because it all sort of comes out, like, it's reflecting something, some sort of feeling in the air that's is, is always going to be reflected back in whatever sort of culture we have. I don't know. I feel like there's always going to be something that's wrong. <laughs> like, you know, we could, we could have, like, uh, some sort of perfect... I don't know even know what that is, but, you know, a perfect government, in, and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think that necessarily exists. There's always going to be problems, and there's always going to be something that people need to know about as well, whether that's climate change or, you know, a fuel crisis or, you know... There are things that, you know, you could, you could be talking about under any of the three major, you know, parties, whether any of them were in charge, I think there'd be there'd be specific things that we'd always still be wanting to talk about. It probably galvanises people in a certain way, I think. It probably galvanised me to an extent in 2010. I, I think I, I pushed much more towards comics and attending more marches and demos and being a bit more active generally in politics than I possibly would have. So, so there's something in that. Do you feel a particular sense of duty in terms of the work that you do? A feeling that you need to report a particular thing or a particular aspect, a balance perhaps to what you do in terms of the approach you take and the subjects that you cover? How do you mean? Sort of more, uh, sort of like a kind of BBC sort of level balance? Yeah, a, a, a need to almost sort of be seen to be covering everything, not equally, but certainly, as I say, in a balanced way. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to feel that I'm not just being sort of this uh, massive lefty, you know, that it doesn't come across as that so that people could immediately dismiss my comic. But having said that, I'm also, I'm working for the New Statesman, um, which is uh, centre-left, a little more to the left of centre-left, maybe. You know, it's a liberal, progressive magazine. And so I think there's going to always be an expectation that what's going to be in The New Statesman. And I'm sure if I uh, did a comic about how much I love George Osborne or something, which I don't, I just want, <laughs> want that on record. Um, but uh, it, I'm sure my editors would sort of say, oh, I'm not sure if this is right for us. But, you know, they give me pretty much, uh, you know, enough rope to hang myself every week. I want to at least sort of feel like I'm balanced and that I'm open to new ideas and new op different opinions. And I try to sort of read as much as I can to make sure that I'm not sort of stuck in my ways and stuck in my sort of ways of thinking. Probably only with about 50% success, I'm sure. Like, uh, But I don't, I don't feel like it's my duty. I feel like my... My duty is to figure out what I think and say that 
you know, depending on the comic, as entertaining a way as possible or as funny a way as possible. And hopefully with enough of a sense that I'm not saying this is the way things are. And hopefully but it's starting more of a discourse and it's more st starting a debate. And I'm open to talking about these ideas rather than saying this is definitely the way things are. Because I think, you know, as soon as you start edging towards the idea that, you know, you know what it, the right answer is, then it, it's always going to, um, it's a dangerous path. <laughs> also, it would, I think, kill the artistic aspect of it as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, and also, you you don't want to shut people out. And I probably shut people out a little bit more than I'd like to in terms of, uh, you know, my, my opinions do come out quite strongly in it. And I don't want to hold that back because I feel that that's one of the things that might be different from other... Uh, sort of topical weekly cartoons that are out there and I want to keep that passion and I want to keep getting angry about things and somehow finding in humour in it and, or, and finding the hope in things as well, the optimism in things without being luxury. I think I watched too much Buffy when I was a kid because I, I always just add a Y to the end of words and think <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I certainly don't want to lecture people but I also don't want to make everything completely whimsical and I do want there to be substance and, and if that means that the work I do isn't as universal and as relevant like a year later and, and, and there's no sort of room for a, a collection, you know, retrospective collection because no one's going to understand any of the references, then sort of so be it. I, I, I'm okay with that, I think, because... The other option is to sort of water it down, water down the content until it sort of almost feels meaningless. And then, then you're faced with, yeah, you might have a collection that makes complete sense in 10 years' time, but it's not going to sort of excite anyone. It'll, it'll be irrelevant in a completely different way. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of putting the cartoon together itself, are things suggested to you by editorial? Do you suggest things to editorial? Is it a, a meeting in the middle? God, some weeks I wish they'd actually contact me and say, we really need a piece about this. So generally I'll, I'll write uh, around three, sometimes four, sometimes two ideas, generally in full script, and I'll send that on Friday. They'll either, like my editor, uh, Sophie McBain, will either get back to me uh, and say, yes, that one, or maybe anything else, and or that one, but... Can we find a different way of like ending it or that kind of thing? Then we'll have a discussion. I'll have like a finished script, usually by sort of lunchtime on Friday. Sometimes it gets pushed, you know, to sometime over the weekend. I'll bother her on Sunday and go, oh, I've got this other idea. She's brilliant and always very kind and polite and gives me the time of day. Yeah, generally they're happy for me to do what I want to do. And rather than ever say we really want this... They might say, we don't need any of this. Say, recently, I pitched an, an idea about Edmund Band with the whole uh, Labour leadership problems. And that was actually a story that started in the New Statesman when the New Statesman ran a piece. So, yeah, that was a story that started in the New Statesman. So there's already lots in the New Statesman about that. And they were concerned about circular natures of the Absolutely. story where you're commenting on... Your own story, which is probably an unhealthy approach yeah. to journalism. And, uh, you know, I actually had a go at doing something with that, like, um, a while back when Russell Brand guest-edited The New Statesman, and I actually did a piece about the, the life 
of a viral video after he was on Paxman. And that was kind of meta, considering that was all came out of the new statesman. And they were sort of okay with me doing that, but I think it's best not to push it too much. And so, yeah, so so that was that was one idea that got shot down because, you know, there was already too much in the new statesman about it anyway. So so there, that's that's more likely to happen rather than they, they say, can you do something about this? Occasionally I will say, you know, I'd like to do something about this march or this story and I'm going to go and interview someone about it. How does that sound? I might... That's something I'll, I'll, you know, give them an, an earlier heads up on. But that that actually happens much much more rarely than uh, I'd like because that obviously takes much more time to research and, and go out and do things for. And you want to get the thumbs up before you do the field trip. If I felt that strongly about it, I'd just make, you know draw my own comic. And similarly, you know, I've always got the freedom to pitch to the nib, and, and Matt Bores is always asking, you know what you're up to at the moment and is there something you want to throw our way or, uh, which is great you know it's it's really good to have have that as well so you pitch the story on the friday and you get the go-ahead what was your typical working week in, in terms of constructing the strip itself well after the script's approved i start drawing up the page prepping the page sort of measuring out things roughly thumbnailing deciding on where and then sort of measuring up all the panels Maybe do any image research, you know, find a couple of shots of David Cameron or whatever, you know, and just make sure I've got that on hand if I need it. And that's something I'll try and do on a weekend, some, you know, couple of hours on a Sunday. Uh, so that when I get started on a Monday morning, I can just go straight into penciling. Then I'll ink, scan, tidy up the line work, and then do the flat colours. Spend a while picking my colour palette, figuring out what's going to work. And I'll do all of that on the Monday, try and leave it at that point. And then on the Tuesday, I'll finish off the colouring, do the lettering, send it over for proofing, make any changes, upload. And then it goes to print on Wednesday, the magazine comes out on Thursday, and then the comic goes online on the Friday. And then I'm pitching new ideas then. Obviously on the Wednesday and Thursday I'm working on other things, and I'll try and do that on the sort of Friday afternoon as well if I can. And I'm also sort of vaguely thinking about ideas sort of all the time, you know. Waking up to the Today programme for my sins, depressing myself as soon as I wake up. And, um, you know, always just keeping an eye out for ideas. And also, you know, like I'll, I'll watch the Daily Show and the Colbert Report every lunchtime and last week tonight. Just to sort of get a sense of what people are already doing and making jokes about so that I don't tread on or, or go for the same jokes, anything that seems sort of obvious. Has there been a situation where you can't... Particularly, I'm thinking of a visual idea that's occurred to you and then you've sort of seen it turn up as an image on a show? Uh, or... No, although I've run with an idea. Like, I did this idea of during the sanctions against uh, Russia, I did this comic about Putin sort of being grounded by Obama and Kerry and, and he's playing with, like, these toy tanks and, you know, he's annexed the hallway and, and he's, you know, saying, you, you know, I, I sanction you back and how sort of, how meaningless it was. It. And, like, a few days later... It was either on Last Week Tonight or something like The Daily Show. That There was a joke, like a, a throwaway, you know, a one-liner, that basically was the same idea. And I thought, oh, that's great. I'm clearly on the right lines, but also that's terrible because when this all comes out in a wash, people aren't going to know mine came out, like, three days before or whatever. You know, like, uh, it might look like I copied, you know, the writer's room <laughs> of uh, <laughs> Last Week Tonight. But, you know, so I, I try and keep up with that kind of stuff. And, you know... I, 
sort of subscribe to various podcasts that are either, you know, uh, looking at culture, you know, like pop culture happy hour, you know, NPR podcasts, things like that, that sort of just, I don't know, make, make sure that I feel like I'm keeping my, my ear to the ground in terms of what, what people are talking about and what sort of like things are doing the rounds on the internet generally. So yeah, I guess I could sort of justify that stuff as work. Absolutely, it's <laughs> I think research, do- isn't it? I think I'd be doing it anyway, but yeah. It seems to be skewed towards US stuff rather it than is, British yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last week tonight with John Oliver, obviously, like I, I really like the fact that their first episode was all about the Indian elections. They sort of go a little bit more international with it and they can sort of do a 20-minute piece sometimes on like the Scottish referendum and things. And so, and obviously it's going to be skewed to whatever it is, it's always going to be skewed to an American audience. But yeah, I always find it interesting to sort of see what they're doing. And and usually, you know, some of the points about how the media focuses on certain ideas and, and particularly the Daily Show is very good at sort of satirising the, the, the media narratives that we're presented with. That's always like universal and that's really interesting. And particularly like, you know, when they're doing that and we've got Having Got News For You and... What the week? Um, <laughs> like, you know, the best we've got is The Bugle with John Oliver as, again, that, that's a podcast and saying something that we actually have not particularly strong political satire out there at the moment on TV. And, uh, you know, America is where we, you know, certainly where I turn for, for that kind of stuff. Are there any particular materials that you use, pens or pencils, that you swear by? I always order a bunch of new new brush pens and you know new technical pens from colt pens or jet pens or whatever but i always find that i'll give them a go and they never feel right or as 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 right as just using um brush and ink so i i've been experimenting with using like speedball ink and deleter ink but by and large at the moment i'm just using winsor newton indian ink and a winsor newton series 7 sable brush and I have various sizes, but I pretty much just use the number one and occasionally sort of use like technical pens outside of that. But by and large, it's just the brush and the ink. I do everything on blue pencil beforehand. Um, and then I scan it in and colour on the computer. I have a whole bunch of presets in terms of uh, using, uh, I think Kyle T. Webster has made a whole bunch of really nice uh, brush presets that you can buy for like five dollars and, and I've generally just been using those for, for when I colour and I use tablets to do that and that's basically yeah I, I, I have some sort of um I've made my own uh, textures I overlay occasionally uh, just using you know uh, watercolours or screen prints that I've abandoned and just scanning in sections of that to to add a bit of texture on top occasionally. And in terms of lettering do you have a computer font? Yeah I, I did a uh, a font of my own lettering. I did that mainly for the ease of being able to change the lettering if I needed to and make last minute changes every week. But I actually did that for the Olympics comic first. I think that was the first time I used it. And again, yeah, I did that because I knew that it was going to go through various stages of approval and we'd, you know, might have to change a, a date here or, a, you know, a, a phrase there. So, you know, ideally I'd like to be doing everything on the page in terms of, you know, uh, the balloons and the captions and all the lettering, but I'm not anal enough to uh, do the lettering properly by hand. And, and yeah, there's too many changes, and I always change my mind about, like, you know, I'll either sort of find a, a different way of phrasing something when it comes down to, like, the final, you know, final run-through. And so I really like having that 
option there. You know, one day I'm going to get back to doing it all on the page because uh, that is more satisfying and you have a, a more satisfying page in front of you as well. Thanks for talking to us, Tom. No worries. Thanks for having me. Where can people see more of your work? Well, every week, the New Statesman, every Friday, will upload the latest comic. Uh, that will be on, I think it's newstatesman.com slash culture capital slash subjects. But there's links on, on my website, which is tomhomberstone.com. I've just collected the first two years of the New Statesman comics, which will be released at uh, Fort Bubble on Saturday. It'll be uh, £10, special convention price, and then available in general on Monday, which uh, can be found on my website. I'll be at uh, Fort Bowl if anyone's going in uh, New Dock Hall, table 144. Process is part of the Holdfast Network. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other podcasts you might enjoy.